My name is Jared Parsons, like he said. Um, I just moved to the city with my wife. My wife is here this morning with my in-laws are also here. Uh, we just, yeah, give them, give them a round of applause. Um, we moved in July, and, and Patrick said this, I work with college students in downtown Brooklyn. Um, that's, that's my profession, but it's also my passion. I, I love uh, sharing what Christ has done in my life and, and how uh, knowing Christ can actually change everything about you and then helping college students do the same. Um, just, just two weeks ago, a, a student was like, wait, so like, I can go and share Christ with other people? Like, I can do that? I'm like, yeah, if you, what do you, th- yes, that's, that's the whole thing. That, that's why I'm here. And so it, it's, it's amazing to watch God transform those things. Another um, thing about me is my, my super is actually here this morning as well, uh, Manny. And so uh, we're, we're talking about wisdom. And so it's just a, it's a rare opportunity where I can give my in-laws and my super ammunition from my own mouth on wisdom on why I'm foolish in the future. That's, that's a special day for me. Um, some of you might notice that also you've seen uh, a little bit more of me uh, since January, and that's because as uh, Patrick gets weaker, I get stronger. Um, so, oh, uh, that's, oh, I gotta make fun of Patrick anytime I, I get the opportunity. Uh, but like, like Patrick said, he, he introduced the series last week on uh, a fool, foolproof is what we're talking about. The, that's the series. It's through Proverbs. And he talked about the fear of the Lord last week and what the fear of the Lord is and isn't. And, and he painted this picture. The fear of the Lord is not like a horror house, right? Or a, what's that? Haunted house. Yeah, it's the same concept. Uh, it's, it, you know, you're not, you're not in a horror movie and God's just like Ellen DeGeneres waiting in a cupboard to jump out at you and scare you and film you and put it on like Heaven News Network, right? That's, that's just not how God works. He's not looking to terrify you. The fear of the Lord is really more about status, about you, understanding your position and your status before God. That's what the fear of the Lord really is. And he talked through this uh, Proverbs 1-7, right? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And how what, what it's about is, is starting with awe, right? You're, you're in awe of the grandeur of God. He's, he's, the, he's infinite. He's huge. He's big. He has all the power, all the sovereignty. And that moves you towards respecting that power, right? Respecting, oh, I, I am not like this being. I, you know, like I am me and he's, he's there, and that moves you towards honor, and that finally moves you towards submission, that this God is so grand, h- how do I not submit? And there's these amazing stories in the Old Testament. He didn't mention these last week, but there's these amazing stories in the Old Testament where someone gets a glimpse of the glory of God, and rebellion isn't even an option. They just immediately fall on their face and go, I am, this God is so grand. How could I possibly think that I'm worth any glory? And my goal this morning is, is to move us even further in understanding the fear of the Lord, that it's not just his grandeur that leads us into submission, but it is also his goodness. And this amazing truth that this, this God that's wholly other, that's, that's way up there, actually stepped down, and in the midst of, of my woe, he actually uncovers my eyes and submits himself to me and says, I love you. This great grand God says, I love you and I came to serve you. And so God is too grand not to submit to, but he's also too good. It just makes no sense why you wouldn't submit and serve this God who is infinite, yet chooses to be personally caring and compassionate and empathetic towards you. That's where we're going this morning. And how we will do this is we're going to take a look at two enemies of wisdom, like like Patrick said. There's two enemies of wisdom. There's several listed in in uh, Proverbs, but there's two that will come up both 
like explicitly in, in the word, and also you notice the concept, and those, that's pride or arrogance and envy or jealousy. And these, these enemies, um, these enemies of wisdom are so sneaky because they look like wisdom. They actually appear like wisdom to, to be prideful, to have pride in who you are. And we have thousands of pithy sayings and Facebook quotables and, and all these things on, on independence and being my own person and making my own way and being the captain of my own fate. And pride looks like wisdom, but we're going to find out that it's folly, that it is foolishness, and it ends in exhaustion. And then we're going to see that envy also is foolish, and it ends in bitterness and rot. And, and the, the format that we're going to do that is that we're going to look at uh, the, uh, poor apostles. We're going to look at how the apostles uh, display pride and envy perfectly. Um, they're, unfortunately, they're, their foibles are written down forever. So we, we get to look at them and, and see how pride and envy uh, are exhibited in the apostles. And then we're going to look at the, the anecdote, the antithesis of Christ's humility and selflessness and see what it actually looks like to live free from pride and envy learning from Christ. So we're, we're, we're going to, uh, we'll be in Proverbs a couple times too to, to bring out more, more wisdom from this. The goal is to see and t- to submit to the wisdom of humility and selflessness and to free ourselves from pride and envy. That's the goal this morning. So let me pray again, and then um, we're going to be in Mark 10, 35 through 45, but I'll also include, uh, there's, there's a parallel passage in Matthew 20, um, that, you can, that you can turn to bef- uh, as I pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that uh, you offer us a better way than pride and envy. And God, right now, um, as, I'm, as I'm in front uh, right now, God, would you help me to, to be humble and selfless? And would you move us all towards humility and selflessness and would we learn from your character? In your name, amen. Amen. So um, a long time ago, there were these two... Uh, younger men named James and John. James and John um, had been selected as one of the 12 apostles. So there there was a group of disciples, and Jesus said, I'm going to set aside 12 and call them apostles, which means sent ones. And and he picks James and John, who are more more than likely 13, 14, 15 years old. These were young, young guys. And James and John were hanging out with their mom, and they were like, yeah, mom, like I'm I, I, you know, Jesus has picked me, and, and, and Jesus is so cool. You, you have no idea. He's, he's healing people. He raised this girl from the dead. He, he healed this, this servant from, dis- like, he didn't even have to be in the same room. He healed her from a distance. He's preaching this truth. One time he stood up in front of thousands of people, and he picked us, Mom, to be on his, on his squad. And th- this is extra biblical, but I, I kind of imagine that um, the mother goes, that's, that's great, honey. That's, that's fantastic. Um, like, where, where do you stand among the 12? Where, where are you, you know? And uh, somehow the conversation comes up of, well, well who's going to take over, you know, who's going to be Jesus' right-hand man? Which one of us? Wh- which one of the 12? And they've already talked about this a little bit, already been rebuked, doesn't matter. They're still talking about it. And so what happens, this is in the Matthew account, I love this, is that it's James and John, mom, who says, you know what, I'm going to go talk to Jesus about this. And you can just imagine James and John like, Mom, no, you're so embarrassing. Why don't? And so James and John's mom walks up to Jesus, and then she, she gets on her knees in, in a, you know, a posture of honor, but then she says the most ridiculous thing in the Bible. She says, Jesus, I want you to do for me whatever I ask of you. Like, don't bother getting on your knees. Like, clearly you think you're the boss here. 
And Jesus, I love this. If, if, you, if you think Christianity is so serious, just read the Gospels and understand Jesus is hilarious because he, he placates them. He's like, all right, sure. What do you want me to do for you? You know, like, wait for this. Turns to the, and, the, and, you know, I see, I see James and John like, mom, don't. And she's like, well, you, you, should, say, you should say it. You know, I, I, I got you this far. James or John, I was like, I want, I want one of us to sit right in hell. I think you'd worry. And he's like, what was that? I didn't hear that. Well, we would like to sit at your right and your left hand when you ascend into glory. And uh, at this moment, you know, you're thinking like, is Jesus going to rebuke them? And he goes, huh. Well, okay. Are you, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And are you, you going to be baptized with the baptism with which I've been baptized? Now, that's, that's Christian speak for... Um, in, in the Old Testament, there's a promise in Isaiah where God says, my, my servant, he's going to drink the wrath of God to the dregs, which means he's going to exhaust the full wrath of God on evil on this servant, right? And, and this, is, this is the cup that Jesus is talking about, that he's going to exa- exhaust the full wrath of God and that he's going to be buried in baptism. Basically, he's going to die and r- rise again. And I kind of get this, this feeling from James and John, like that moment when your boss ask you something that you have no idea what he's saying, right? Like, have you filled out the 75 305s? And you're like, uh-huh. What's the 75 305, right? Like, they have no idea, and they're like, yeah, we're able. We could do that. And you're just like, okay. All right, well, in, in a way, you will participate in my suffering. In a way, you will participate in this baptism. But to sit at my right and my left hand is not, not mine to decide. That's for my father. And now... The 10 hearing it are like, are you kidding me? That was the most outlandish request. And Peter's like, I just got called Satan. Why didn't they get rebuked, right? Like, what, what is the problem here? Why didn't, they rebu- why didn't he rebuke them? And then they're mad at James and John, like, why would you ask that? Like, I wanted to ask that. And I can just see, like, Matthew in the corner, like, oh, this is so going in my gospel. You know, like, he's so mad. And, and Jesus, uh, he, he takes this opportunity to teach them. And he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, that they lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be everyone's servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man, Jesus himself, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so we're, we're going to pull out of this uh, both Jesus' example, but right now we're going to talk about pride. And pride very evidently seen in James and John's request, right? The pride to treat God like a genie or a vending machine, right? God, I want you to do whatever I ask. I love that. Right to the point. And pride is, pride is a huge uh, uh, topic in Proverbs, like I said. We, we, we heard it this morning. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 11 to you, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Pride comes before destruction. It's a harbinger. It, it says, hey, here comes destruction when you're being prideful. When you're being prideful, disgrace is on the way. And James and John, uh, they, they experience some, humil- some uh, humiliation, some disgrace later on. But, they, they exhibited, I, I think, the, the, the perfect question of pride. And, and pride asks, if you're wondering what pride is, pride asks, what's my status? That is pride in a nutshell, is what's my status? 
Pride is every time you're walking into a room, establishing a pecking order and trying to figure out where you fit in it. I struggle with that mightily. Every time you walk into a room, it's, okay, what's my status among these people? Where do I fit? How can I raise my status, right? We do this professionally. We do this spiritually. We do this among friendships. It's always asking, what's my status? James and John, where do we stand with you, Jesus? Being a part of the 12 isn't enough for us. We want to be the three. I want to be the one. What's my status? Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of me in high school. Uh, there, there it is. Um, the ladies' man that I was. Uh, by the way, <laughs> PJ mentioned, he's like, is that color super red? No, that's just my sunburn. That's just because I'm pasty. So that's me in high school. Um, I went to a very small high school, and, uh, and, and I'd been with the this, this, this same group of people since third grade. There was like 29 of us. I graduated in class of 29. And right around my freshman or sophomore year, I had just had enough of this small high school, and I wanted to, like, escape. And uh, my way of escape was to, to get a, a big high school girlfriend, just to get a girlfriend from a bigger high school. And I had, I had worked... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, where you put commas and form phrases... Uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. So I, I, I'm, I have an in <laughs> with, with this, uh, this big high school uh, group of friends that, that are, they're really cool, they're really amazing, and, and I had begun to really show myself as cool and funny, and, and uh, people were starting to like me, and there was this girl named Margaret who um, I started to have a little bit of a crush on and thought, okay, Margaret's my in, you know, like, here we go. And uh, one night <laughs> I'm at a party, and... Um, this, this is the folly of pride, right, is, is only, only about status. And, and uh, somehow Margaret and I had got into this little, like, flirtation tug of war with uh, a maglite flashlight. You guys know what those are? They're, like, the big, like, what police, police officers carry, these big, thick things. And, and it was kind of like, ha-ha, oh, you know, you have it. No, I'm going to take it, ha-ha. And um, <laughs> people had kind of, like, gathered to, to watch this. And, um, like, I, I didn't want to lose... <laughs> this battle, and I thought, honestly, this, this is what I thought, is that if I just turned and did this, she would let go. However, she did not. And I flipped Margaret completely WWE style, feet in the air, slammed her on the ground because she didn't let go. Those people never talked to me again. I immediately lost that status. Like, it, it was like the end of the night was like, Okay, Jared, yeah, it's been good to see you. Shouldn't have flipped Margaret. I know, all right, I'll see you maybe in five years or you know, whatever it was. Like, I just knew like, that it was over. And, and the reason I tell that story is because I, I, I think, you know, when I, when, I think, when I read Proverbs 16 18, I hear pride comes before destruction. I think of like God is just waiting with a lightning bolt for us to be prideful. And it's like this curse, right? When you're prideful, here comes the curse. But the truth is the very nature of pride leads to destruction because you can never fail. You always have to keep your status, right? At the, at the, the second that your status, that, that, that your status is in question, pride leads to your destruction because you're destroyed, right? I, have, I built, you know, that, that took me six months to build that reputation, and in a moment, it was done. The very nature of pride leads to disgrace and destruction because you will never, ever be good enough. And pride is foolishness because it ignores the very simple truth that you will fail, that's why pride is foolishness, 
It's we pretend, okay, if, if I get to this level, if I get to this level, then I'll be good. But all the time I'm remembering all the times I've failed before and trying to beat that. Pride leads to destruction. That's just how it works. And the core belief of pride is this. This is, this is why we, 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 we push it, is that we think that our status determines our worth. My worth is directly connected to my status among people. My, my, my eternal worth is, direct, is directly attached to how these people view me. And that's pride. And it, and it will lead to disgrace and destruction. This is fun, right? We're having fun talking about destruction. Envy. Envy is, is, is kind of a child of pride. And envy in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 331 says, Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. And it's easy to to read that and go like, do we actually envy people of violence? Well, well, yeah, that's why we watch heist movies and House of Cards and and Narcos because there's a part of us that wonders, what if I got away with that? Right? What if I actually got away with doing whatever I wanted and got whatever I wanted, right? And, And scripture is full of these godly people in the Old Testament, especially who envy these people of violence. It seems like they get away with everything. And this is exhibited perfectly again in, in the 10 being angry, not at Jesus. They're not mad at Jesus. They're mad at James and John because, because James and John are, are, are stealing a part of their status. I wanted that status. Why would you ask that question? I, we wanted to be the ones that sat at his right and left hand. And you brought your mom into this? Come on. Right? Envy asks, what's not mine yet? That's, that's what envy asks, is what's not mine yet? And what envy does is that it makes you only see what you don't have. That's how, that's how envy works. And envy is foolishness because it ignores the simple truth that you are not in control of your own wealth. You're just not. You know, there's, uh, there, in my home state of Nebraska, there's these massive floods that are hitting. These really big homes. Really wealthy people. They're not in control of their wealth. But we like to pretend that we are, right? But, and, and it's not just wealth that we accumulate through envy. It's, it, it might be status itself. It might be friendships. But envy says, what's not mine yet? And Proverbs 14.30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy teaches you that, to, or, or what, what Proverbs teaches us about envy is that it, it rots you from the inside. It's corrosive. Pride and envy end in exhaustion, failure, rot, corrosion, disgrace, and destruction. And Jesus, uh, and, and the core belief, by the way, of envy is that my belongings determine my worth. But Jesus gives them, he, he actually teaches them a new way. He says, and, and he teaches on this, this very aspect, right? He says, okay, so this is how the world works. Those who are considered rulers lord it over them. And he's teaching on pride at that moment. He says what, what, what the rulers, the Gentiles do is that they're always reminding people of their status, of their own status and, and everyone else's, right? They, they lord their authority. I am the emperor, do what I say. I am the governor, do what I say. I am the magistrate, do what I say. I am the centurion, do what I say. This, this is how the world works is that we constantly lord each other over pride and then exercising authority is actually is about envy, that exercising authority means uh, keeping other people away from the resources they need and, and stealing it for yourself, which is 
so that your, your belongings are never at threat either, right? So this is, this is how the world works. And uh, I love that Jesus doesn't just end with like, so, that's how it works. Don't be dumb. Good luck. He actually gives us a better way. And he says, um, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And this is where we get this hu- humility word here. This, this being, being servant, that servant word means choosing to serve everybody. And then that ne- the next one, he says, whoever would be first would be slave of all. And that slave was, was, uh, it was like a bondservant thing where people intentionally gave up what they had to be someone's slave. That actually happened. And that's where we get selflessness. And we're going to see these perfectly exhibited in Jesus himself. And we're going to look at humility and selflessness, actually in Philippians 2, um, where, where we get to see the, a, a, a better picture of humility and selflessness. This, this is what uh, it, it says 5 through 8 up there. You can turn, but I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is biblical wisdom in, in its humility. And it's so different than the worldly wisdom, right? That says, build yourself up. Build yourself up. Br- get more belongings. Jesus exhibited a completely different kind of wisdom. And this wisdom is in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 2, again, when pride comes and comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. This, act- this humility brings forth wisdom, and not only wisdom, but it brings forth honor, right? Pride brings disgrace. This kind of humility brings honor. And I want to talk about why, why it does bring honor in, in the character of Jesus. There's a phrase in Philippians 2 that, that just rocks my world every time I read it. And it says, Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, Jesus was God. He was God. He is God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's what pride is, by the way, is trying to grasp equality with God. That, that's the end of pride, is, is trying to take equality with, with Godhood for yourself. Jesus is God, and he said, I, I'm not going to grasp it. And that doesn't mean that he's not God, but, but it's, it's almost like, like you know, th- there's this, this thing in the middle of the table that he could have said, okay, th- this is my Godhood, and I'm going to take this, and I'm not going to serve the humans. I'm not going to care for anybody else. But he says, no, I'm, I'm letting this go for something different. This is radical, right? Radical that the God himself would not grasp equality with God, but instead became a servant and came to serve. Jesus didn't leverage his status. He released it. He was so convinced of his worth and value to his father that he released his God status and let himself be spit on and beaten and treated awfully by his own rebellious creation. This is radically different than pride and envy. Why was he able to do this? Because he was so concerned with God's status. Humility asks, what's God's status? That's, that's what the humble person asks. 
What's God's status? Everywhere I go, what's the status of God? That's humility. When I was um, in high school, I was looking uh, for colleges, and um, my, my pastor uh, said that there was this, this special weekend happening where all of the, all of the, the churches in this denomination were going to send their best and brightest to this school that was our denomination's college for uh, a weekend of training and potentially a full ride to this school based upon an assessment they would give of how good of a servant leader you are. <laughs> oh, man. So I went, and uh, I, I, I was not prepared. I went in, in uh, like, jeans with holes in them and, uh, like, this ratty kind of thermal thing, and all these, these other people are in suits and ties and formal dresses, and immediately I'm like, I, you know, I did not count equality with them a thing to be grasped. Like, I am, you are out of my league. And so for the whole weekend, I, I just kind of stood in the corner and occasionally be like, well, maybe you could, no, you're, you're not going to do that. Okay, fine. They're like quoting minor prophets, like they've read it all, you know, they've got these inner jokes like, oh yeah, it'd be like running from a bear and meeting a lion. <laughs> Amos life. You're like, I don't know what that this is my weekend. And at the end, I said to the interviewer, I, like, I don't think I belong here. I, I, I am not, like, I don't, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Six months later, I get a letter in the mail that I had won the scholarship. I, I got Willy wonka right? That was a total Willy Wonka situation. They were, they were playing fast and loose with this servant leadership thing. And it, but it was so clear and, and to, to them that I was the best servant leader but it wasn't out of my pride, right? It was out of, I'm, I'm so far to this league. And, and that's the truth, is that when you run into a humility like that, it's, it's so wise to pick them for leadership positions. There's just truth in that, right? If, if you pick someone who's prideful, wh- what can you teach them, right? H- how, how far can they actually go? So th- this wisdom of Christ, it's, it's not only amazing to see, but it's actually practical wisdom, it works. And the core belief of, of humility, the core belief that allows you to be humble, is that the cross determined my worth. See, the cross determined Jesus' status forever, but it also determines your worth forever. Because your status now is covered by the most precious currency in all of creation, Jesus' blood. He bought you with his own blood. You are a son and daughter of the most. What other status do you need? Right? You, you, you hang out in New York, and I, I was uh, in a coffee line, and these two guys were talking about the most expensive meal they ever had. Right? Like, yeah, like I could totally, you know, blow $2,000 on that, on that one pizza. It had gold on it, blah, blah, blah. And I could have turned around and be like, yeah, well, I'm covered in Jesus' blood. So what? You know, that'd be pride. Be bad. Inception. So, uh, that. The, the core of it believes that the cross has determined my worth. What, what other status do I need? The wisdom of humility is not I'm worthless. It's I'm worth Jesus' blood because he says so. Not by what I've done, because he said so. He bought me, right? That determines your worth and allows you to be humble. Lastly, uh, I'll cover quickly selflessness. Selflessness is humility in action. Humility is, is, is the posture, right? Is, is the understanding that Jesus has bought me, but selflessness is actually 
working it, it, its way out, and, and it says that Jesus emptied himself. He actually emptied himself. He became obedient and actually moved into action after not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. He moved into action, and then he gave, he sold the farm. He gave it all away. Right? Isn't that amazing? That Jesus actually stepped in, into this planet, into this, and, and he gave his blood and then there's all these extravagant promises in Scripture that we are, we, when, when we are in Christ, when we've chosen to follow him, we are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What that means is that Jesus tore the, the curtain that separated us and God, and he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that raised me from the dead. I'm going to give, and you can, it's, it's going to live inside of you, empowering you. And then you're going to spend eternity with me. And I'm going to call you an heir of the Most High God, a son of the Most High God, that you get the blessings of being me. The core or, or the, the, the identifier of, of selflessness is, is the question, what's not theirs yet? Envy asks, what's not mine? Selflessness, out of this understanding that your worth is determined by God, it says, what's not theirs yet? And at the core, it believes that Jesus gave me his belonging and he gave me his belonging as a son or daughter of the Most High God and then he sold the farm and he gave me his Holy Spirit and all of that, the things that come with that. Isn't that incredible? Why, why am I so concerned with what I get for the next 80 years, Lord willing? What are these things that I have? I have every spiritual blessing. I have Jesus' belonging forever. And that allows me the freedom to say, what's not theirs yet? Usually it's worth and value, right? We've talked about worth and value. And you think, how can I make this person feel worthwhile? How can, how can they know the worth that comes from the cross, the belonging that they have in Christ? How can they know that? And this is wisdom because it's freedom out of security. Proverbs twenty three seventeen. I'll end this with this. It says, "Let not your hearts, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day." And we're we're, we're kind of seeing a more robust definition of this fear of the Lord, right? That this fear of the Lord is understanding our proper status before God, but that He moves to us, gave us belonging, gave us worth that lasts forever. So why would I envy sinners? That their end is disgrace and destruction? Why would I envy men of violence? They're just going to rot from the inside out. This is true biblical wisdom. We want to to be a a community, and and I prayed so much, I prayed so hard that we would be a group that would be convinced that humility and selflessness is a better way and that Long Island City and Queens and New York would see this in us, and the, and the ends of the earth would see this in us, that we have a better way than pride and envy, that it shall not be so among us. So I'm just going to ask you a couple of reflection questions that you can in, engage with, with God with, and then I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up. And uh, the first reflection question is, which, which, of, which of the two, pride or envy, am I more prone to right now? I'm not asking for like your, your, your life story. Sometimes that there's like a lot of pressure in the reflection to be like, okay, I've got three minutes and I'm going to write out like all the time. Just think right now, which am I more prone to, pride or envy? Two, have I considered my worth in Christ yet? And what would that do to what I'm struggling with? Have I considered my worth in Christ yet? Let me, let me close us in prayer and the band's going to come on up.
Jesus, you are good. You are um, infinitely loving and so much better than we could possibly imagine. You considered it wisdom to move towards your creation that rebelled against you, that spat on you, that treated you like trash. You considered it wise to move towards us and buy us back, and sometimes we don't understand that. And I think that's why in your scripture, Paul says that it looks like folly to the world, but it's, but it's actually true biblical wisdom. And the wisest thing to do in response, God, is to trust you for our worth, to trust what you did on the cross that determines our worth, that you gave us belonging. God, would you, would you humble us now in your love and your care? You're not a God who humiliates, but you do humble, and would you humble us to, to see your truth and to find our worth and our value in you, that we would live a wise life and that people would see our good deeds and see the way we live and in turn glorify you. God, I pray that, that we, we would choose your, your wisdom this morning. In your name, amen.